Hello, everybody. Welcome to Latter-day Struggles. You have uh, Valerie and Nathan here with you again. Great to see you. Well, <laughs> I, I guess I don't see you there. But great, great to be seen. Great to be, well, great to be seen if you're on YouTube and great to be heard. And we're glad you have paused in your day to be with us once again. I uh, uptick in letters, in emails, in communications over Instagram and on Facebook. So great to connect with so many of you and to hear how this uh, content is impacting your lives. I just couldn't be more grateful for this call that I have to be with you, walking, uh, walking together with you as we together are learning how to become more healthy uh, psychologically and spiritually here in and around the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Today we are on part five, yes. the very last part of our series on the book, Do I Stay Christian? What we have done thus far, if you're jumping in, for the first time, is we have been walking you through 10 points as to why it would make perfect sense to leave Christianity, and then also 10 points as to why it would make sense to stay in Christianity. This is an incredibly bold and brave book that Brian McLaren writes, where he basically um, he throws it all down. He is very, very open about all of the problems. But he is also very, very open about uh, reasons why we can, in fact, be part of the solution. So, Nathan, will you kick us off by running through points one through eight of why to go and points one through eight of why to stay? And then we're going to do points nine and ten on each side of the spectrum. So, okay. Reasons it, to go is because, <clears throat> number one, Christianity has been brutal to uh, its mother, Judaism. Number two, because of suppression of dissent, Christian on Christian violence. Number three is global imperialism, Christian on world violence. Number four is because of the loyal company men. Number five is because Christianity's real master is money. Number six is because of white male patriarchy. Um, number seven is because Christianity is stuck. And number eight is because Christianity is a failed religion in terms of transforming people. Those are the reasons to leave. The reasons to stay... Christian are because leaving hurts the allies and helps the opponents uh, because there are options other than stay compliantly or leave defiantly. Uh, and he promotes staying defiantly. Number three is because of the question, where will I go? What is better? Number four, because Christianity is in its infancy. It's too early to give up on it. Number five, reason to stay is because of its legendary founder. Number six is because of the Innocence, because innocence is an addiction and solidarity is the cure. Um, number seven reason to stay is because uh, I am human, uh, meaning this is a human problem. And number eight reason to stay is because Christianity is actually changing. Okay. That tees us off for two more reasons to return back to the, to the, not stay Christian category. So let's do those first. And then we will end today's episode and this whole series with the two reasons, two last reasons to stay. So reason number nine that McLaren talks about um, that is a compelling reason to leave Christianity is because of Christianity's great wall of bias. And he also refers to this as constricted intellectualism. Now you guys uh, know, if you follow this podcast closely, that this was one of my favorite chapters so much so that I didn't want to brush over it. And I actually committed while I was studying for this series with Nathan, 
I liked this chapter so much that I said, I can't stand it. I want to do an entire episode on all of the cognitive biases. And so I want to actually just invite you guys all to jump back to episode number 80, where we go through in detail each of the cognitive biases. Now, in the meantime, I will just, I will just name them but invite you to go back for the whole 30 minutes of the explanation of each of these cognitive biases that he mentions. And I did have a, a few of you reach out to me and talk to me about other cognitive biases that apply. And there are many, and there are many actual lists. I <laughs> I honestly don't know, like certain of you were like, woo, you, you know, you missed this one or you missed that one. And I was like, you're absolutely right. Um, I didn't miss any of them. Brian did. <laughs> I'm going to blame him. Um, and I, I said, uh, you know, I wonder if this just has more to do with like, he was really down with the C cognitive biases. All of these happen to start with C. And so I don't really know why other than just to be alliterative. Is that even a word? Alliterative? Yeah. Okay. So anyhow, here we go. He talks about confirmation bias, complexity bias, community bias, comfort and complacency bias, confidence bias, conspiracy bias, catastrophe normalcy bias, and cash bias. And um, just the one last thing that I will talk about that he really, um, he's very autobiographical in this particular chapter where he talks about how he himself uh, suffered from most, if not all of these biases himself in his early Christian training and um, how much uh, damage that did to him, how it really, really impacted and hurt him um, until he, of course, uh, had his own hero's journey experience and recognized the, you know, the damage that had been done and was able to sort of mitigate that by his own evolution and education. But he says this, as a boy in the 60s, I never would have believed that the same literalist six-day young earth anti-science creationism that I was being taught then is still in circulation as I am now a senior citizen. He says, even then I knew it was silly, but here I am in my sixties and any number of Southern Baptist, Pentecostal and Bible church children are still being taught the same information in their private Christian schools and by their sincere, but misguided parents. My heart breaks for these kids. It feels like intellectual child abuse. So he basically goes um, through this talking about how um, damaging it is to our psychological um, development, the development of our beautiful brains that were gifted us by God, the parents, and um, how when we um, are when we are educated to um, not understand these biases, it really, really does hurt our development on multiple levels. Anything you want to add to that, babe? No, like I said, like you said already, we we've hit those biases in great detail in that previous podcast. So I think um, that it kind of speaks for itself. I'll just reiterate maybe one thing. Yeah. We 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 see what we look for. Yep. Um, so whatever whatever's comfortable, whatever is easy, whatever's convenient, whatever makes our lives easier is what we look for. Yes. Amen. Okay, let's move on to reason number 10 to go. And the reason number 10 to go is because Christianity is a sinking, shrinking ship of wrinkling people. And he uses a word that I just really like. He calls this concept, you want to say it? Uh, I don't remember the shrinkling. name. Shrinkling. Shrinkling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shrinkling. Shrinking and wrinkling. Yes. Becomes shrinkling. And he's basically saying that Christianity um, is not appealing to uh, many of the younger generations, certainly not the really younger generations, but, but it's really out wearing its usefulness to many, many people. 
Um, he actually says this, I suspect that the shrinkling of the Christian religion will likely become a global phenomenon eventually as long as these following trends continue. Okay, I'm going to just list several of these trends that he's already noticed that he is also saying he believes will just continue to cause the shrinkling of all of Christianity. Number one, more, excuse me, <coughs> more young people learning basic history, which is not the history sanitized by religious censors. And by the way, uh, we um, Latter-day Saints are no strangers to religious sanitation, sanitization, sanitation. Um, but Yes. Um, but I think it's fascinating that this is a, a phenomenon that is widespread. We have our own uh, iterations of this in uh, Latter-day Saints tradition churches, but this is a Christian problem. They are very interested also in the sanitization of their own histories, too. Uh, point number two of uh, reasons why the church is going to continue to shrinkle. I can't say that word enough. <laughs> Um, reason number two, more young people learning basic science. Okay. So point number one was history. Point number two is science. I have um, gone into great detail talking about various issues of, um, historical complexity and scientific complexity in, um, my past episodes and plan to do so moving forward as well, because these are big ones. Okay. Point number three for shrinkling is more young people embracing critical thinking and refusing to comply with the demands that they submit to inerrant and infallibility of religious authority structures and leaders. I just want to throw my hands up and say, amen, hallelujah. Like this is a Christian problem. It feels very much as if it is a, a Mormon problem because it also is a Mormon problem. But what he's describing here is that other churches are struggling with the same thing. They like their constituents to believe that there is inerrancy or infallibility. And that, um, that hurts everybody because it ain't so. Point number four for shrinkling, more young people becoming politically aware, ecologically aware, racially aware, and economically aware. I mean, these all seem like really good things. That's the problem, right? Isn't that interesting? It's like the more uh, they become educated in these areas, the less relevant Christianity seems to many of them, which seems like it shouldn't have to be that way, right? Yeah. Okay, the next one is point number five for shrinkling. Uh, more young people having access to professional journalists and citizen journals who tell the truth about religious scandals and hypocrisy happening now, um, including but not limited to sex scandals, political deals, and uh, financial mismanagement. Boy, we're no strangers to that either now, are we? Okay, and then finally he talks about uh, one more point here. More young people having access uh, via computers, smartphones, and um as yet unimagined technologies to the internet and the and a global reservoir of unfiltered information. Uh, basically, we are no longer being micromanaged in a very small cottage-like uh, situation where that used to be the case, and now it, of course, is not. The last thing that I want to say before I uh, toss it over to you, Nathan, is he also says, so he really focused in this particular case on the shrinkling problem and all of the reasons why the youth um, or the younger generations are leaving. But he then goes on to say, and... More and more middle-aged and older people who share a youthful outlook on life will follow their younger constituents or their children out the door. And they will. this will leave a more uniformly staid and conservative ethos among those who remain, whatever their age is. Actually, though, this diagnosis is overly optimistic, um, deprive an elderly constituency of younger voices, and it is likely to be regressive and extremist not just merely conservative. Mm. All right. 
Thank you. <laughs> I'm waiting oh. with bated breath to hear what you have to say. Um, I don't know that I have a lot to add. I think, uh, you know, basically the idea is, is that you can't hide information from the young generation anymore. And if we're not honest with them, they won't have any part of it. Um, I, you know, I think back to the, the scriptures that I talked about um, in, in the days of judgment, that your sins would be shouted from the rooftops. And, uh, you know, your, your friend, uh, the fellow podcaster, Peter Bleakley, in one of his episodes really pointed out that the internet may be the fulfillment of that, just not the way that the church expected. It, it's not that our individual sins are being shouted from the rooftops. It's that the institutional sins are, and um, they're not, you can't hide them anymore. And as we talked about in the faith crisis report, th this is really the basis for the whole shift in, in, um, in, in faith and church attendance. Uh, in the early 90s, the, the internet, you can trace it back to uh, the decline in a lot yep. of things spiritual because people realized they'd had the wool pull over their eyes for so long and that institutions weren't honest and they weren't forthright. Uh, and nobody likes to be lied to. And it's unfortunate because it didn't have to be that way. Right. But now here it is. And, and people feel like they've been lied to and they've been deceived and they don't trust the institution anymore because the information's there. And now they've got to deal with what they've created. Correct. They've made their bed. They're going to have to sleep in this. What you're reminding me of, Nathan, is um, there is a, a specific Sunstone symposium presentation that was given by one of my personal heroes. I just want to meet him someday. Um, Mr. Greg Prince. And um, I will link that um, or, or at least put it in the show notes for you once I found it. I, I want to say I've listened to this podcast. He, so it was, it was a Sunstone Symposium presentation that has since been put on the Sunstone podcast where Greg Prince talks about this whole idea of, of the problems of not only Christianity, but of course, in specific Mormonism. And he talks about how um, as the church has moved through a decline, there has been a Jewish minister, no, Jewish rabbi. I was going to say a Jewish minister. Um, there's been a Jewish rabbi that that um, has been, uh, that's, he published something in the New York Times about um, almost kind of like suggestions about what the Mormon church could do because the, the Jewish religion has already been through this kind of crisis themselves. And he basically said, you know, truth claims are off the table. <laughs> you got to stop creating a foundation of your faith around truth claims. He says, you have a couple of things left that you can actually work from if you choose to do so, if you want your religion to be anything that looks vibrant. And the two things he said were, you have um, the possibility of moral authority. You can actually become an institution that loves mm -hmm. and that leads out in um, true morality, which is based in love. And you can also become a, a community of people who care about each other. You can be a place where people gather. And he says, those are the ways institutions actually stay um, to stay, stay vi vibrant. And it's not about truth claims. It's not about believing one certain way. It's not about fear. It's not about control. It's about uh, being a moral authority and being a community where people want to gather and feel seen and known. I thought that was really, really profound among many, many other things that he said in that, in that um, particular presentation. Okay. Let's move on to, okay, no more talking. I can't say the word shrinkling anymore. That's the last time. So let's move on to the last two reasons to stay Christian. And this is number nine reason. And he says, he called, he says to free God. Okay. Now, what does that mean? Nathan, do you want to kick us off on that one? Yeah. So what he means by 
the idea of to free God um, is that within each society, within each religion, within each culture, we sort of create God in our own image. Um, you know, in a, in a Mormon church, it might be an old white man sitting on a throne and uh, in other institutions, it may, you know, may look different. It may be something without a form or it's probably got the skin color of whatever the, the local cult culture uh, carries. But his point was, is that uh, as our minds expand and as society expands and we kind of get to know each other a little bit more, we can free God up to not have to look a certain way or think a certain way or behave a certain way. And he can, he or she or they can be based in love. And we have this, this ability to, to expand uh, to a, a more inclusive God or a more inclusive Godhead, a, a, you know, a more inclusive heavenly parents. Um, and so that's kind of what he's getting at is, is make, we can make God look more like the God of everyone and everything and every gender and every race as we open our minds up to, to better ways of thinking. Yes. So he talks about how, yes, precisely how we project. Uh, we often talk about being created in the image of God, but the more accurate way to look at that is we often create God in the image of us. And one of the big points he makes that I just couldn't um, agree with more is that having been, um, we've all been victims of patriarchy for thousands of years. And so uh, clearly uh, there's a connection between uh, a, a patriarchal, powerful, white male God and the culture that we're nested in right. and how uh, that has, that has been passed down by gen generation by generation um, and in a, in a hurtful way, in a way that um, is not helpful, uh, doesn't help either men or women feel equal. Uh, and therefore, we don't need to hold on to these past versions of patriarch of a patriarchal white male powerful God. Um, he actually says, let me just read this because it's kind of funny. Let's see here. Right now, the old metaphors and notions are, hold, uh, are holding on like a big white guy clutching at his throne of power. Traditionalists fear that if the old metaphors, categories, frameworks, and languages no longer dominate, they will lose you towards which they did their best to point. That doesn't make sense. They will lose the you towards which they did their best to point. So they're basically saying, they're basically saying that, you know, you need to either believe in our God or uh, no God at all. And we're basically going, why? Why? We don't need to actually believe in your version of a patriarchal, magical, monarchical, shame-filled uh, worldview God that dominates um, a lot of Christianity because it doesn't serve us well as we are very slowly but surely moving out of um, the what I would consider like the death grip of patriarchy. I think our world is very slowly recognizing the damage that patriarchy and white supremacy has done for all of us it hurts us and so we need to actually extricate ourselves from those false traditions and recognize that whatever god is it isn't probably that because that is a holdover from um from patriarchy from, patriarchy, from the our patriarchal history yeah he there are a couple other adjectives to add in there that he used angry and judgmental oh gosh yes so you know we've created you know men patriarchal men who are alphas and dominating yep. and have these really angry, judgmental, dominant styles. We have projected that onto God. Um, and that doesn't need to be that way. Another thing he points out too is, is that when we imagine God or the gods 
um, in, in, in human form, and, and maybe they have a human form, and maybe it goes both ways. We're created in their image too. But this is one of the things that we miss is seeing God in nature. Mm. We miss being able to see the God's hand, the, the God's spirits, the God's presence in animals and in trees and in mountains and in lakes. Um, and that really we ought to be seeing the earth and the universe as the first great incarnation of the gods for us. Uh, and followed by perhaps some sort of a, a form that looks uh, that there might be a human uh, a humanity to them as well. Mm. But um, if if we if we box them as as you know white older male and and white older female, do we miss seeing them in in you know a poor black woman? Do we miss seeing them in a tiger? Do we miss seeing them in a mountain lake? Um, if we if we box them like that, we're missing a huge chunk of their incarnation for us i love that that is you're really speaking uh universal christ talk yeah right well, like well, the incarnation of god is is in the heartbeat of everything in the entire universe there's god or christ coursing through each and every one of us but also everything in the universe something else that i want to point out that i'm really thinking about nathan is uh when we box god in especially as a, a an angry punitive judgmental old white man like many of us have, including myself, I'm very much cognizant of like what I visualize because I, I came by that from as early as I can remember. Um, when we do that, uh, we don't necessarily, uh, we're not inclined to want to be close to that kind of a, a God. And back in episode number 60, uh, when Nathan and I were really digging deeply into the strength of the youth, we spent an entire episode talking about the universal nature of the atonement of Jesus Christ and how many of us misunderstand the natures of God. That we have a Christ figure who protects us from a mean, angry, judgmental, punitive, old white man. <laughs> right. And that's why we need a savior. At least that's what our theology taught many of us. And I remember in one of my uh, conversations with somebody uh, here through this community that I, I've formed, she said after that podcast, it's no wonder I've really always struggled in, in feeling a close relationship with God, the father. And she says, when I heard your episode number 60, I completely felt validated. No wonder I don't want to, you know, have this close, warm, psychologically snuggly relationship with God the Father. He's scary. <laughs> He's mean. Right. So she's like, I'm giving myself all kinds of grace. Of course I don't want that. And then the second part of that was, well, maybe that's not even who he or they are. Right. Maybe I need to um, fire that God. Maybe <laughs> I need to create for myself something that feels like something I want to actually worship. Yeah. Knowing that what that is, what who they are is unknowable right now, but we can construct something that's real, that's worshipable to us. And they are absolutely okay with that. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's sometimes it's easier to to talk about what God isn't than maybe what they are. Yeah. Um, but along those same lines that you just mentioned, I remember a story from Anthony DeMello where he talked about uh he, he started telling a story about his parents, and this, this is a fake story, but at first you don't know that. He's telling a story about his parents sending him to see his grandparents. And his his parents are just talking up how wonderful his grandpa is. He's never met him before, but he's super excited to go meet him. And how loving he is and how kind he is and how fun it is to be at the house and how many activities they'll do. Uh, and he's like super excited. And then mom and dad start telling him, but if you break any rules, grandpa is going to beat you. <laughs> and if you break some you know, other rules, if you keep breaking the rules he'll put your face right up into a fire. And if you keep breaking the rules, he'll keep you put your face by the fire and he'll hold it there for a very long time. And he's like, what the crap? He's like, 
that doesn't sound like fun. I don't want to go to grandpa's house. And he's like, this is what the concept we've created of God. On the one hand, we say how loving and wonderful he is. And then on the other hand, we, but he's also quite punitive and you don't, you don't want to cross him because he will put your face in the fire for eternity. Yeah. But he's still a really nice guy. Oh, he's really nice him. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and he's like, you know, you wouldn't go to your grandpa's house if that were the rules. So why on earth do we imagine God that way? Yeah. So to stay, what the essence of what McLaren is talking about and Nathan and I are highlighting is a reason to stay is to be part of the change that changes the narrative. How we see God. How we experience God, which in many cases is really the essence of 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 what it means to be in relationship is to recognize um, the beauty and goodness of the potential relationship we can have with those with whom we worship. Okay, let's go ahead and uh, do our very last one. The number 10 reason why to stay Christian. And I found this one um, very strange and, <laughs> and interesting and a very strange way to actually end this book. So maybe you can help me understand why he, why he chose this, but it's kind of interesting and kind of cool too. Okay, so he said, this is the title of the chapter. We should stay Christian because of Fermi's paradox and the great filter. I'm sure what you're asking collectively is what the hell is Fermi's paradox and the great filter? Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and read it because I really probably couldn't freehand this one at all. So he says this, Fermi is a man who, um, let's see here. Fermi, he's a scientist who wondered, why haven't we been visited by alien life forms? Intelligent species should have evolved on countless planets across the galaxy long before we evolved here on the Earth. Uh, Many should have developed space travel. Where are they? His answer is now known as the Fermi paradox. And one answer that he gives is because of what he calls the great filter. Simply put, if intelligent life has evolved on many planets, perhaps... It always self-destructs before it gains the capacity for interstellar travel. This is a little weird way to turn, right? I, anyhow, it's pretty cool, but it is a little, it, I was not expecting this. Okay, back to the quote. Perhaps what we, are, what we see happening to us on Earth, that our technological evolution has outpaced our spiritual and moral evolution. Maybe this has happened to every other species as well. Perhaps every intelligent species develops weapon-making skills that outstrip their capacity for peacemaking. Perhaps every intelligent species masters the skills of exploiting its planet before it develops the wisdom to preserve its planet. Perhaps every successful species falls victim to overshoot and collapse. He then goes on to talk about how specifically he anticipates this could happen with what we have developed on our earth. He said, if humanity destroys itself, religion will likely be the chaplain providing prayers, blessings, encouragement, and forgiveness to escort the species towards its death. Politics will most almost surely pull the suicide trigger or press the suicide button. Economics will likely provide the motive for the crime, and science will have designed the bullet or the gun or the bomb or the virus that will do us all in. Our problems, once again, are not just religious problems, nor are they merely political, economic, or social problems. Our problems are human problems expressed in all of these different fields of human endeavor. Okay, Nathan, say more about Fermi's paradox and the great filter, my friend. Well, I think you've hit on it um, perfectly. What you said is is understandable. It kind of goes back to one of the previous points, which is that this is a human problem. Yeah. And that in humanity, we here, and perhaps in the rest of the universe, our scientific knowledge and our 
quest for economic power outpaces our spiritual humanity. And that the end of that, if, if we continue to allow science and power and economics to outpace our humanity, is that we will kill each other before we love each other. Yeah. And he's just, that's what he's getting at. He's like, we need to make sure that we love each other before we kill each other. And that is why he is fighting for the uh, cause to stay in religious communities and work together. He's actually talking also about, uh, he's saying that Christianity can be a part of the larger solution because the larger problem is a human problem, which I think we're um, really noticing. This is where he's sort of developed. This is how he has developed his own thesis of, of, of what to do and how to live. And he's actually saying at the very end of this book, we're, we're kind of nearing the end of our time together. He says, um, so if you stay and you feel like you can stay in light of Fermi's paradox and the great filter, uh, let's see here, whether you stay Christian is uh, less of a question. And the better question is how will you live whether you're a Christian or something else? So he basically says, if you've read the part about staying and found insufficient resources to overcome the ugliness and the reasons to go, I understand. I'm glad that you are not minimizing the danger of a Christian suprem supremacist resurgence, the possibility that smoldering embers of unrecognized evil in Christianity could explode even into a worse conflagration in the future. So he's like, okay, if you feel like you need to go, the, the struggle is real. That makes so much sense. And he says, I actually hope that you find a better way elsewhere. But he also says, if you have read the part about staying and find inspiration and decide to stay Christian, but have chosen to do so in a new and better way, that is fine as well. I'm glad that you're taking seriously our predicament and the unrecognized resources that the Christian tradition has, especially in the Gospels and in Jesus Christ himself. But he says this, to some degree, we all hold both options in tension. He talks about the idea that will we stay Christian is less important, but the more important question is, um, how will we as humans survive and thrive? What good future shall we strive for? How can we align our energies with the divine energy at work in our universe? Mm -hmm. That right there is the most important question that he contends at the end. I think that's lovely because I think he's really done a, just a great job of being fair fair and balanced about the reasons to stay and the reasons to go. Sure. He's, he finishes by saying, um, he paraphrases uh, uh, Dr. King. I'm assuming here he's talking about, he just says Dr. King, but I'm assuming Martin, Martin, Luther, Luther, King. Yeah, yeah. Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, Whether we stay Christian or not, we will either learn to live together as a family or we will die together as fools. Mm -hmm. It is a question of survival. So that is how he ends uh, this section of the book. And of course, there is a third section that we're not going to delve into together, but it's this idea of um, how, how to move forward um, and manage uh, the choices that we make as, uh, as we look at this as a larger human problem. Anything you want to say as we close this episode up, my, my dear husband? No, I think that was really good. I, the one thing that I have written here in my notes, um, he asks one other question Yeah. Um, that as we're evaluating whether to leave the practice of organized religion or to stay. One question that he asks is, um, you need to decide, are you trying to change religions or are you trying to change spiritual stages and not to confuse okay. those two points? 
because sometimes as we're progressing through spiritual stages, we're kicking back against the church when really what we're doing is kicking it back against the old self that is changing. And he's like, make sure that if you blame your religion for its problems, which there are many, that that's really what's hurting. He's like, if it's really that you're trying to change spiritual stages, it may not necessarily be a church problem. And that's, again, what we've talked about is that this is, these, these are so much human problems, not a particular religion problem. He's like, but if you think that it's really the religion, if you have some trauma, that's fine. You may have to go. But if you think it's just I'm changing spiritual stages, it may not be a church problem. So he, he invites people to examine that question, too. I'm, I'm loving what you're saying. And yet I have no memory of him saying that in this book. Is that in this actual book? Oh, wow. We read like almost two different books. That's the fun part, right? Yes, exactly. And he actually has an entire book on um, stages of faith. If you go back yes. to uh, Faith After Doubt, that's his entire thesis and his entire um, argument. Well, not argument, but the, the premise of that book is how to better understand growth in a complex, messy world as an evolving human being. So, And one thing I like about his is that he, he, he comes up with these four stages which to me, I didn't, it didn't speak perfectly to me, his four stages, Same. but in his book, he presents lots of different stage theory from different people. And he kind of compares them. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was really useful yeah. because he, he's, he says, well, if you don't like mine, here's, here's pecs, here's roars, you know, here's these other guys. And he, sh and he even kind of shows how they relate to each other. And I, I thought that part was really useful. Yes. So. Yes, this is um, a fabulous man, a great scholar, a great thinker, a great fellow um, religionist. And uh, we stand to learn so much from different people of different faith traditions um, inside and outside of, of Christianity. Um, and I have really enjoyed this little yeah. book review experience. I want to put this down for a hot minute and not think about it because we've really spent <laughs> a lot of time studying it. Uh, but I thank you guys. I thank you guys for giving me uh, the I, I enjoy studying and I enjoy studying with a purpose. And uh, this has been a, a really great experience for me learning and going deeply so that I can package this information in a way that is very deliverable and easy to consume. And I hope it has been helpful for you. And I hope you all know how much I really enjoy this work that I'm doing with so many of you. I know there are many of you I will never know and I will never meet. And I just want you to know I'm grateful uh, that I get to be a part of your life. And I, I'm very grateful for those of you who I do get to know and meet and uh, who are part of either what, whether it be uh, some of the private consults that I'm doing or who are part of some of our small groups. If this is, if any, either of these are something that you want to jump into and be a part of eventually, please email me at info at ValerieHammaker.com or catch me on Instagram at Latter-day Struggles Podcast. And please, if you will, pause and rate and review this podcast. Oh, one other thing that I wanted to just throw out there, because we do have um, a little bit of some good news, two things, actually. I'm getting ready in the year 2023 to create some online courses that cover a lot of the material that um, I work through with people in my online communities, because there is such a high demand and there's so much content that I just... Um, I'm finding it hard to get through everything that I want to get through. And so that is forthcoming in 2023. And something else that's kind of exciting is this podcast has been invited to be a part of the Dialogue Podcasting Network. So you are going to be hearing from time to time my talking a little bit about other podcasts in the Dialogue Podcast Network. And I'm going to be specifically making mention of certain podcasts 
and even certain episodes that I have enjoyed that I think if you like this podcast, you would benefit from listening to these recommendations. So be prepared for that. Frequently, you will be hearing some great recommendations. So it's so good to be with you all. And we are going to start um, a whole new topic that is just a big secret <laughs> next time. Okay, take care, you guys. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.